And welcome everybody to another update. I'm Adam Sarhan. Uh, this is the Smart Money Circle. With me today is a very special guest. It's Ryan Dietrich, CMT and Chief Market Strategist at LPL Financial with about a trillion dollars in assets under management. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Adam, thank you for the invite. I'm honored to be here and let's have some fun. Beautiful. So Ryan, I always like to begin. Can you tell us your story and how you got started in the business? Yeah. What is, how much time do we have, I guess? Um, yeah, so I guess I got the bug in 1999. I went to Xavier University in Cincinnati. My dad gave me a little bit of money. I always liked numbers. You know, um, you know I thought I was accounting for like a semester. And I was like, man, I hate that. I don't care about accounting. And obviously, 99, the market was going nuts. And I was just hooked. He gave me some play money. I opened up a this was E-Trade account. Uh, anyway, one, one, of the, one of the big ones back then, still big. Um, and I started making money. It was great. I remember like skipping theology class because I'm going to go buy this hot penny stock. Why would you go to class and you can like make money, you know? So I was totally hooked. But then what happens? Well, I'm on a ton of margin, right? I don't know what I'm doing. I just don't making money. All of a sudden, everything popped and everything went down. And I learned real fast leverage works both ways right <laughs> learned a lot and it's like yeah you can read all the books you want and i love reading books don't get me wrong but until you are losing your own money or maybe even someone else's money that's that's uncomfortable too that's when you really learn but then i was hooked because then i realized this oh my god you mean i could have made money on the way down i didn't know you could short or buy puts yeah i just was watching cnbc buying whatever your sycamore networks whatever whatever company they're talking about that didn't exist right. anymore right um right. but i was hooked I just love the psychology behind it. And it's the idea that you, know, you can create wealth over time. And then, you know, so then I left and got my MBA and worked a couple of places in Cincinnati, Ohio for a long time. And eventually LPL needed a new market strategist. They started recruiting me and they said, hey, you want to move down to Charlotte? Talk to the wife and kids. And we decided to. So I've been with LPL for about five and a half years now. Moved down just south of Charlotte, Fort Mill, South Carolina, where LPL has a huge campus. I say we're like, kind of like the Google of broker dealers. I'm there right now. Right. There's maybe 3,000 people here, are potentially here. I think there's maybe like 100 here on most days. But I do a lot of these webinars and, and things like this. So I need good internet. Um, but, you know, my career has just been some ups and downs. No doubt about it. I've been fired before, lost jobs before. You know, it's not like it's all, um, you know, all straight, straight up trajectory. But it's it's been a lot of fun. And I, I love what I'm doing, working with our more than 18,000 advisors helping them to help their clients create wealth, to reach their long-term gains, have a little fun in the middle and help tell exactly what's going on. Because, you know, you watch CNBC like just this morning, right? Markets are down. It's like, oh my God, everything's going down. Well, on Friday, we made new highs, okay? We're up like 90% from the lows. Let's not panic too much here. And I love to use history to tell a guide to where we might go. And, um, you know, it's just a lot of fun, very rewarding. And I love working with our advisors and their clients. I love that. Uh, you, so much you just mentioned over there struck similar chords with me where I started in the 90s as well. And I make your money, lose your money. And then psychology, I have a book coming out called Psychological Analysis about markets. The idea yeah. to remove the emotion from the decision-making process. In addition to fundamental and technical analysis, I'm introducing a third school of thought. So, I mean, wow. Okay, great. So that's a fantastic, fantastic story. Um, before I, I go into the specifics, Ryan, can you just give us an overview of your investment strategy or how do you play the game, so to speak? Yeah. So again, we manage, well, last I looked about $58 billion uh, for our, for our, specifically LPL research manages that much money uh, for our LPL advisors and their clients. And we kind of have a three-pronged approach. You mentioned, you know, technicals. We look at fundamentals, we look at technicals, and we look at valuations, right? And those that kind of three-pronged approach. Now, believe me, 
we have various different portfolios. We call them models that we run for our advisors. Some are aggressive, obviously, some aren't. There's bonds, there's equities, there's all the different spectrum. But I think, you know, the best way to put it is, you know, one of the things we've really, really worked on is having a process. All right. Everyone has, you know, what's the old Mike Tyson quote, right? Everyone's got a plan to your punch in the face. I mean, last March, we all got punched in the face. But as the people that followed their process and didn't panic and did what they were supposed to do, that um, really were rewarded at the end of the day. So we really do, a, I think, a really good job of having a process. This model is supposed to do this. This model is supposed to do this. Our 30 person research team, we have people that's jobs that are to make sure the models do what we tell them to do. Like I'm a strategist, right? I say, I draw the snowman. Big right. picture stuff, stocks over bonds, large over small, whatever, actually small over large in our case, whatever that is, yeah. is what I do. Then we've got really smart people to make sure that we follow the processes that we have in place. But at the end of the day, you know, technicals, fundamentals, and valuations are the three things that we really focus on a lot. And when I say technicals, I know you talked about sentiment, I traded options for almost 10 years. So I know you're going to ask me what's one of the things that I've learned. One of the things I've learned was that everyone's on one side of the boat. You know, so it gets a little rocky. You might feel comfortable because you're with everybody else, but that's sometimes the most, you know, risky trades, if you will. I mean, look what's happened to tech this year, right? Tech did great last year. Everybody loved tech, and now it's it's coming back. Everybody hated value. My goodness, look at the Barron's big money poll last October. I don't think they asked people if you liked value because everybody hated it, and right. now here we are, everybody loves it. So I love to use market sentiment when I'm talking about market technicals as well, looking at uh, investment decisions. That's very interesting. So let's talk about that a little bit. You've got three-pronged approach. You've got the fundamentals, technicals, and then the valuations. So let's start with the valuations because I get a lot of questions about that. And as you know, value, I, I have young kids and so do you. So I like to use the beauty and the beast reference. Uh, value is like beauty. It's very subjective, right? So uh, when one person sees value, the other person doesn't. How do you value a company and or what, how do you, you know, what metrics do you use to determine whether a company is overvalued, undervalued, or an asset class? so on and so forth. You can speak to that. We'd appreciate it. Uh, yeah, understood. We don't really do so much on the individual equity side of things. We focus mainly on mutual funds and ETFs. So obviously we, we look at various sectors and subsectors, look at their forward PEs, the current PEs. Um, you know, we focus a lot. I mean, you know, the P part is price. The E part is earnings. We know that everybody focus on the E part for the most part. But as a technician, I also focus on that P part of PE, um, even though it's in there, because that's part of it. Because again, if something's overvalued you know a year ago stocks were overvalued in may and june coming off those lows yeah what people were ignoring was the fact that earnings are going to explode higher at least people that ignored that that say hey, stocks are overvalued and they were saying that last june and july when we come off five that five month win streak coming off so you know we look at different things um in that in that nature but i've always said it like this and we've said it like this to lpl you can't just use pe multiples in a vacuum yes the forward pe i think is like 23 maybe 24 or so but you know so far this year adam S&P 500 earnings for 2021 are up 12%. You know how much the S&P is up? 12%. Exactly. So <laughs> But right. the earnings are almost justifying it. And let's not forget, inflation's very low. And I know the number one question we received is look at inflation, look at the supply chain issues, the labor issues, all the stimulus that we've got going on. It's a cocktail for higher inflation. We understand all that. But we still, Fed's favorite measure of inflation, PCE, it's still not above 2%, all right? So we're not seeing it yet. So historically, low inflation, you have a little bit higher multiple. So to us, yeah, for PE of 23, 24, it's pricey but when you factor in the historically low rates and low inflation, it's maybe you know not quite as pricey as a lot of people might think. So you have to look at it the whole well-rounded way versus just um, you know blindly um, you know oh PEs are high. Well, you know there's other factors than just that. 
Right. No, understood. That's a very good way of looking at it. So um, how about the fundamentals? How do you go through and, and dissect that part piece of the puzzle? Yeah, well, kind of like I talked about, I mean, earnings are one of the biggest drivers that we look at. You know, earnings revisions are another really important thing. We started seeing positive earnings revisions from a lot of energy companies earlier this year. And then you look at who's one of the top performing groups, you know, it is energy, right? I mean, so you, you kind of look at things like that. I mean, those fundamentals of the earnings, um, you know, I mean, we like I said, we focus on inflation, which again, to us, our take on inflation is this, right? The Amazon effect, productivity, um, uh, new labor, machine labor. I mean, uh, globalization, all these things are in place that kept inflation low for over a decade. Yes, we're going to have higher inflation this summer, maybe it's three, three and a half percent CPI, maybe. Uh, but we just don't see major inflation down the road. So we kind of factor all that in there. We take a global look at the world, right? We're not just investing blindly in the United States. I mean, we look at emerging markets, all different parts there. We like Asian emerging markets, uh, looking at Europe. We've been underweight Europe for five years, the five years I've been here. And that's really helped our models. We get um, you know, graded on how we're due versus our peers and competitors. And they've been under overweight developed international Europe for a long time. We haven't been. And the reason is those fundamentals we were looking at, the earnings, earnings revisions, some of the inflation numbers, the demographics, those just didn't add up to um, you know being overweight developed international, at least relative to EM. And we were kind of in that camp now maybe we're we're about to, we, we're thinking about maybe evening up our developed versus em exposure here as we move forward in 2021 but again just fo focus on the fundamentals it's kept us out of developed international for five years that's been a um a good place to be i love that so do you look at earnings growth as well i love the earnings revisions but do you look at yeah. yeah okay yeah we we absolutely do and that's the catch right how much of it's priced in? I mean, everybody knew this earnings season that we're about to wrap up was going to be good. It was supposed yeah, to be up 25, well, 24 and a half percent, what we expected. It's right. coming in closer to 50%. I mean, that's the biggest, one of the biggest beats we've ever seen. 87% of companies, at least according to on Friday, 87% of companies beat their earnings estimates. Yeah, look at what stocks have done. I mean, my goodness gracious, tech's underperformed. Tech had a great earnings season, right? Exactly. Financials had a great earnings season, but they went up. Oh, by the way, do financials only go up when the yield curve goes up? We heard that net narrative in the first quarter. No, financials all of a sudden started going up and, 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 and uh, you know, the 10-year yield started going lower. So right. there's all these different factors, but it's kind of how do stocks, how does the market react to news? And that's that sentiment part I was talking about. The bar was high, right? I cannot jump nearly as high as I used to. I mean, you might not believe that, but it's true. And, you know, but we have a lower bar, it's easier to jump over. So what we've been talking about at LPL the last couple of weeks um, in some of our commentaries and blogs, we're, we've been bullish, okay? We've been one of the more bullish shops on the street. We upgraded our view on equities at the end of March last year. I promise you, no other broker deal or financial institution was doing that in March. A lot of them didn't do it until after the election, okay? Because again, we looked at sentiment, we looked at what the Fed came out on March 23rd last year and said, oh, oh by the way, Fed's in there too. I should have, should can't go to the Fed. That's part of our fundamental view too. It's one of those, it is what it is. And um, you know, it's not easy when you manage a lot of money to just, okay, now we're bullish or more bullish, but we added risk in a lot of our models, you know, in the second quarter last year, and we'd had a really, really good year. So there's just different ways we look at the um, the whole package. Honestly, I forget the question you even asked me. I'm just kind of rambling on. But no, you're just, going, it, it's fundamentals. It's perfect. Yeah. 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 How do you handle the fundamentals? And then the growth, earnings growth. I was asking specifically. Sure do you, was. Growth yeah. Growth. So we absolutely passed for we with that one. I get on tangents sometimes. It's fun talking about. Yeah. I mean, you know, the truth is everyone knew earnings were going to be good. Now we cleared that upward bar, but what have stocks been doing lately? You know, they're under the surface. Things are kind of starting to break down just a little bit, but my right. goodness, after a 90% rally in the S&P 500, you know, I love looking at market history, right? Right. Mark Twain said history doesn't repeat, but often rhymes. I use that a lot when I present and talk. And if you overlay this bull market with the one 
one that started in 2009 into 2010. That one went like 80% until right about now. This one was 90%. You know what happened then? A 16% correction from now into the summer months. It's not the end of the world. If there are 80% rally, then a 16% correction, everyone said, oh my God, here goes double dip. Europe's a mess. Look at Greece. Then we know what happened. It went up for another 10 years, but it wasn't just straight up, let's be clear. But still, now we think, you know, listen, a 10% correction after a 90% rally, if you're bullish, it's going to feel uncomfortable, yes, but it could be one of the best things for stocks just to simply catch their breath. And those fundamentals, the economy is what it is. It's really opened up a lot faster just by anybody, even the most bullish person expected. And that's a driver that should continue long-term gains. But listen, sometimes the stock market and the economy don't jive. I'm looking at you last April, May, June, July, August, when the S&P went up five months in a row and the yeah. economy wasn't that great. Now the economy is great. So would it be something if last year, bad economy, good stock market, now we have a great economy, maybe an okay stock market. That wouldn't be, it wouldn't be, um, that wouldn't be the end of the world and it wouldn't surprise us, to be honest. No, understood. It makes perfect sense. So I guess the final component, well, the, the third component, not final, but the third component would be technicals. How do you unpack that a little bit? We know that there's 50-day moving averages, 200 days, breakouts, volume, et cetera, et cetera. How do you guys implement technicals at here? Yeah, we really like to use relative strength. I mean, again, you know, you can see, I mean, what's a good example? It's like real estate, okay? All of a sudden over the past month, real estate has been starting to show a lot of relative strength. Now, is that it's because it's a reopening trade or is it because maybe lower rates are going to come? Whatever it is, there's some positive things taking place under the surface there. So yes, we use moving averages and trend lines, but really we like to look at all the different 11 sectors and then all the subsectors and look for which ones are kind of nice bottoms and relative strength or topping, right? Topping potentially. I mean, let's be honest, technology on a relative strength basis versus financials is like one of the lowest levels it's been in years. And that's not a shock. Financials have gone up a lot. Um, um, technology's gone down, but still there's just, there's those clues that you can see on, on a, you know, a relative basis versus absolute basis. It may be something under the surface, not right. I mean, you know, everything was making new highs a couple of weeks ago, not the NASDAQ, right? Not technology, not semiconductors, not biotech. Those groups did not make new highs. So that was kind of a, you know, if we have a sell-off, those are the ones that are not making new highs. So they could be the ones that could be in a little bit of trouble. And I know, um, you know, that's exactly kind of what we've seen as technology is really taking it on the chin. But again, hey, this technology had a great run for 10 years and, and maybe it's just kind of time for a little bit of a pause. Yeah, for sure. So, and then sentiment, you spoke about sentiment. Do you look at sentiment in other ways besides just if there's a crowded trade to the right, you go to the left or how, how else do you incorporate? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, we look for, um, you know, if everybody, everybody hates something, maybe if there's some opportunity there, um, we might uh, dip our toe in, you know, I mean, what's the uh, Churchill quote, you know, if everybody is, um, if everyone's thinking alike, oh, it's Patton, sorry. If everybody's thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking, you know, I think that's a great quote and a, and a good way to look at it. And, um, you know, we, we use put the call ratios, right? We use flow data, um, you know, the Barron's big money polls, all the different sentiment polls that are out there. Just try to, it's not like we have one favorite one to make our overall decision. But again, it, it, it's just a part of the package, I guess you could say, uh, when you're looking at something like financials, right? The start of this year, financials started the show relative strength. They started to do good. Then you look at the analyst buy, sell, hold ratings, okay? Analysts hated financials, right? They were one of the worst buy, sell, hold ratings. A lot of holds and sells, not that many buys. That's just that contrarian point of view that, wow, if you think about let's invest in something that's not crowded, and that could be the real winner of this year to make your year, you know, it was kind of financials. And what are financials a big part of? Value, right? I mean, I know a lot of people are bullish value now. I get it you know but um you know we, we started turning more optimistic on value earlier this year and that's a trend we think still has time i mean the growth value trade obviously growth did great last year we were overweight growth last year we said because of this 
All right. When you have low growth, investors reach for growth. You should invest in growth stocks. And that was what happened last year, large cap and all those things. Now, as the reopening is taking place, clearly we're seeing a shift there. We're not just totally abandoning growth here, but in our models and the way we look at the world, we're like 53% to 47% growth versus, I'm sorry, value versus growth. And maybe it might go a little bit more as the year goes on, but we're not totally abandoning growth here. But it makes sense to us. Um, that you want to be siding a little bit with value as the reopening is taking place. Those positive fundamentals and positive technicals are all kind of part of the pie there. Yeah, perfect. Makes perfect sense. So let's talk about risk, uh, Ryan. How do you handle risk and what mistakes do you see people make with respect to risk management? Yeah, well, I, mean, I kind of hinted at this earlier. The mistakes are you don't follow what you said you're going to do. I mean, I can tell you, we've seen that. And I mean, uh, we're not fallible here at LPL Research or anybody. I mean, we all make mistakes. And, and you know, again, when you have a situation like last March or something, it, it's very easy to have your brain kind of short circuit, right? I mean, you, you make the worst investment decisions when you're in high stress. That's just how it works. That's why having a plan in place ahead of time, you know, using stop losses, for instance. I mean, you know, sometimes you hit a stop loss, like, ah, maybe I'll give another day or two, or maybe a relative strength trend line you're looking at, relative strength versus the S&P breaks down, ah, you know, let's give it, let's give it a little more time. And then of course, we all know what happens, it continues to underperform. Or the other side of things that I see time and time again, talking to our advisors, talking to their clients. I mean, I, I have presentations all the time. I say, listen, you know, we're probably going to have a 10% correction sometime in the second half of this year. The second year of a bull market, which is what we just are in and started, the second year bull market's never been lower. That's the good news. Okay, that's the good news because you're still early in a bull market. Some of them aren't up by a ton, but you don't usually have volatility in the second year. You don't usually have a 10% correction in the second year. After a 90 largest 90% rally we've ever seen in like 13, 14 months, a pullback's going to happen. I, you know, we can't guarantee I live in a world of compliance, but it's probably going to happen. And you know what's going to happen when it does? I'm telling people, you look for you, get your buy list ready, right? I mean, things are going to get cheaper. You know, what's the old saying? When things go on sale, the stock market's the only place where things go on sale, but everybody runs out of the store screaming, you know, and that, that's the truth. So get your buy list in place because it's going to feel terrible. CNBC is going to have a market's in turmoil. You're going to see all the typical bears that they try out on CNBC and Fox or wherever you want, get your news, right. just because that's what's going on. That gets the clicks. But again, um, you know, you just got to remember that every 20 year period, stocks have always been higher. Every 10 year period, stocks are up like 98% of the time. Five year period, yeah, it's, it's lower. We get it. But we just think, you know, that this is, if you look at like something like, um, Oh, the banks, okay, financials, right? They're just now breaking out of where they were 14 years ago, all right? I mean, there are some areas that, yeah, that are stretched, technology, look at you, technology, but there are other areas that really haven't gone anywhere for a long time. Europe, gee whiz, Europe's gone nowhere for 22 years, all right? I mean, there are areas that really could continue to go higher for quite a while, and, um, you know, that's why we just think it makes sense to have your, um, you know, have your plan in place ahead of time and uh, definitely get ready to buy that dip. And that's one thing at LPL I think we're, we're really good at. I mean, you know, it, it is uncomfortable when things are red and you, oh my goodness, we said we're going to buy on a 10% dip and here it is. And it feels really scary, but just follow that process. And over time, you will, you will be rewarded if you follow the process. No, it makes perfect sense. And I love the fact that you do look at market pre uh, precedent before, because like you said, history does rhyme. Um, and Dalio talks about it too, and so on and so on, one of these and yada, yada, yada. So that's, that's awesome. Okay, um, next question for you, Ryan. What are some timeless lessons you've learned along the way? And uh, well, let me just ask that question. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of hinted at some of these, I guess, as we're going. I mean, again, it's the, it, for me, it's the sentiment, right? The best um, investments you're going to make are the ones that when you mention it, someone looks at you like you're kind of crazy. And believe me, when we, we were neutral equities for like a year. And then in the last part of March last year, 2020, we upgraded equities. Believe me, 
It was uncomfortable to do, uh, but we got some really funny looks. And you know that if you're kind of lonely in a trade, and, but it follows our process, which is valuations, fundamentals, technicals, it matches all those, you get that funny look, that might be an opportunity for some significant, significant gains. So that's, um, that's definitely one, like I mentioned, following the process is another. Um, and then, you know, I mean, kind of get a little Warren Buffetty on you here, but just the belief in America. I mean, you know, we're going to have recessions, we're going to have bear markets, it's going to happen. But if you have a long term investment horizon, not by long term, I'm just saying you maybe a couple decades or so, you know, the best thing that can happen for somebody, and I don't want this to happen, I'm not calling it, but is another bear market, right? I mean, you know, the bear market, you, if you're, you know, your 401k, your IRAs, whatever it is, your money you don't need or investment for school, whatever it is, you know, to use um, those buying opportunities and, and, and not to uh, be scared and not to go to cash or bonds after a big, big market sell off. And that's the other side of things. I mean, bonds just had their worst first quarter like ever, right? Treasuries just had their worst quarter ever. Uh, we actually, at the start of the year, said that we like stocks over bonds. That's our big bet that we've made is stocks over bonds. Our models do really well because of that. But right. now after this big run in stocks and terrible run, you know, sometimes just simply rebalance, right? You know, maybe take a little bit off stocks, maybe go to a little bit of bonds, even though bonds don't look that great because they just got killed, right? So there could be an opportunity to continually rebalance over time. And don't think you're, I mean, nobody is smarter than the market. I mean, that's one thing we learned last year, right? The market, timeless lesson here, the market does not care about our feelings, okay? I can tell you, People said, how in the world the 1.5 million people just filed for initial jobless claims, yet the stock market went up 6% that day? Remember, that was that one day, I think it was last April, right? I mean, millions of people, yet the market just soared higher. It's because the stock market's a forward-looking mechanism. It doesn't care, and this is the truth, it doesn't care what happened in the past. It's looking at what's going to happen in the future. And the sooner people can understand that, it's not easy, I get it. But to understand that, it doesn't care about your feelings, and it's a forward-looking mechanism are, are two things that are really important for um, investors to, um, to remember. Yeah, you know, I love that I use the analogy of imagine you're pulling out of your car from the driveway, and you're looking backwards. That's fine. But then you keep looking backwards as you're driving, you're going to crash. You can't do that. So all of the economic data points or the earnings or points, by definition, are looking backwards and telling us what already happened. But meanwhile, the market is looking forward. And that discrepancy, most investors and most people just don't understand uh, that dynamic. So that's a really, really- And that's where the technicals do come in. So I'm not a CFA. I'm a CMT. I grew up trading options. Okay, I'm not your standard market strategy you see on TV that says, well, valuations are good and earnings are good. I play that game too. But I'm looking for relative strength. I'm looking for something under the surface on the technical front of side or the sentiment side of things that I can overlay with those fundamentals and valuations. I think that is something that's really um, important. I guess another timeless tale or timeless piece you could say is, um, you know, um, uh, technicals are not voodoo. Okay, a lot of people think that they're voodoo. All right, I mean, I, I would say no. Why? Why in the world do we use forward PE multiples? Who in the world knows what truly is going to be the the earnings in twelve months? Nobody does. Okay, but I do know that that, that, that the chart or the pri past price action is, is is there, and it's it's something to pay attention to. So I think um, that's another thing that you know. I mean, you look at you know a lot of the Soros and you know a lot of the smartest investors of all time. Uh, they do have a technical tilt to a lot of the way a lot of them um, look at the world. And I'm not saying you should go all that route but kind of do a nice fusion of fundamentals, technical sentiment. That I think is a nice way to uh, look at the world. Yeah, no, I agree with you hundred percent. So what are some uh, of your, I guess, not mentors per se, but some influences that you've had, you mentioned earlier about reading books. What are some of your favorite investing books or trading books or any investors in the past that you look to and, and, and you model after their success? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, great question there. I mean, I, I, I have read a ton of the books and, you know, I'm a fan of Warren Buffett and some of the standard ones. But I, where I've really enjoyed the last, I guess, 11, 12 years is leveraging social media. Right. There are so many smart people that you can follow on Twitter and get their opinions real time, learn from them immediately. Um, so I would say, you know, somebody who's new to investing or in, in, interested in it to kind of start to leverage social media and follow follow a lot of smart people that are out there. And it's it's free. You know, it's their opinion. It's right there. It's unfiltered a lot of times. So that's um that's kind of the way I look at it. Now, John Murphy, as a technician growing up, John Murphy, StockCharts.com. I have no affiliation with him whatsoever here. Let me take clear. But I, I remember reading his books and studying his books for the CMT when I got my CMT, I think in 20, 2005 or something. I mean, he's forgotten more about technicals than I'll ever even know. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of John Murphy. But I like the way he looks at the world is he calls it inner market analysis, right? The U.S. dollar is going down. Well, that's usually bullish for commodities. And, you know, higher commodities, a lot of times copper is going up, the 10-year yield's going up. Well, 10-year yield's going up, bonds are probably going down. If bonds are going down, well, stocks might be going up. You know, all this stuff is interlinked to a degree. It's not perfect, believe me. But, you know, just the way John Murphy kind of does that as a market strategist, at the end of the day, I'm a mouthpiece for a 30-person research team managing more than $50 billion with 18,000 advisors. And I like to tell stories, right? I mean, you're not going to remember half the stuff I say, but you might always, the people I present, they, ah, they, might, they remember the silly joke I said, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, that's what you remember, but it's how you connect to people, how you can tell stories and to be out there time and time again. Another lesson, I asked this already, but yeah. always be there. One of the biggest takeaways I got from 2020 when the market was doing what it was doing, everybody's panicking, nobody knew what was going on. Okay, credit markets freaking out, bond markets. Remember early March, bond market got slaughtered, gold got slaughtered, and stocks got slaughtered. Are you kidding me? What in the world are you supposed to do? Nobody knew what was truly happening, how bad things were going to be, or how less bad they were going to be from what we were hearing. But the one thing that we learned at LP Research is be there every single day. We would do morning calls, we would do client letters, we would do a blog, we do special calls, we do videos, we have a YouTube channel, there's answer old-fashioned emails, old-fashioned phone calls, be there every day for somebody. And even if you don't know the answer, it's like, listen, we don't really know what's going on, but we're here for you. Let us know what we can do for you. You know, I, we, maybe we wouldn't say we don't know what's going on or what come out like that. But I'm the truth is nobody knew, but be there every day for somebody and be upfront. I mean, when I first started at LPL five years ago, sometimes I thought we'd spend a lot of time on trying to sugarcoat something, but we were wrong. Like, well, we did this and this. I'm like, why don't we just say, you know, we invested in this and it didn't work, oh, you know? But now it's like, you can't hide what's going on. People are smarter now than ever, but there's more information now than has ever been. What's the old joke? Where's my phone? Yeah, here's my cell phone here. You can kind of see a uh, blue yeah. background. You know, that's more information on that than the president had just 30 years ago. All right. I mean, that, 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 we all have info. So don't hide when you're wrong. But don't hide when you're right. You know, don't pound your chest too much. Be, you know, try to be humble. But again, when you're wrong, just be honest about it. I mean, that's one thing I like about Warren Buffett. I guess if you're that rich and that old, you just don't care anymore if you're wrong. You're like, hey, I was wrong. Big deal. I'm still richer than you are or whatever. You know? But but still, it's just I think that's one of the big takeaways also from last year that we learned um, with, with our advisors just to be there time and time again when somebody needs you and don't hide under a desk when things are going tough, because I guarantee you a lot of people did that. And, um, you know, it's just not the way, I guess, to build a relationship and build a long-term foundation for your business and your business model. Um, and I'm glad we did not do that. <laughs> well, that, that's actually really, really good advice. Because like you said, if you're there every day on March 23rd, when the Fed came out, not with their bazooka, but with their atom bomb, so to speak, with whatever they did, everything, the kitchen sink, uh, you're there to take advantage of it. If you're hiding, you're not going to see it until now or whenever, six months later. So that's really, really good. Definitely. Yeah, that's that's great. Okay. Um I guess, what are some timeless mistakes that we, if you have 
that you'd like to mention that you haven't mentioned already that you'd like to share with the audience? That you yeah, I'll share a few of them. I guess being stubborn, I kind of hinted at this. I mean, you know, I mean, when I traded options for 11 years, I can tell you sometimes you might trade, a, do a trade or short term trade on a stock and individual equity, and you're wrong. Okay. But then you want to get it next time. You want to, you know, I'm going to get even with that stock. I'm going to get them next time. Exactly. And that is just the worst possible way to approach it. It's also human nature. We're wired a certain way. A lot of times, our own worst enemy is ourself because again we're going to you know what's the jp morgan quote you know you, you don't make any worse investment decisions ever than when you see your neighbor getting rich i paraphrase that but you know there's truth to that you know it's like well he's doing it i'm smarter than him why can't i do this and then you go do it and you take too much leverage uh, and that's another one leverage works both ways i said that earlier that's another very timeless lesson um inexpensive lesson if you if you yes. uh, go the wrong way with it but you know i mean i guess just you know try not to get even try not to think you're smarter than the market try not to think you know everything you know the longer we do this longer i've been doing this like well i guess what is it 22 years now 21 22 years really focusing every single day i wake up watching the market but one thing that i know more than ever is i do not have all the answers there's so many things that i do not know and i think when someone can be open and okay with that uh, which isn't easy you know but to be open to that then you can have a whole new world open up to you and you don't have to be so stubborn in a lot of the investment decisions i mean how many bears have we seen now i know we had a 34 percent correction last year i get it but you know that was pretty quick it came back pretty quick uh, how many bears have just been saying the same thing forever right dollars going to crash too much debt going to have hyperinflation we've been hearing this from the same group of guys forever and it's like you know I guess they have a good business model. There's a lot of people like to hear that. I mean, it's kind of like we, you know, we're, we're kind of cavemen at the end of the day. We like to be in little groups, like little pods of people that think, think the same way as we do. Right. But yeah, that's just not, that's not, that's not for me. And it's like, you know, uh, you know, we were bullish growth a year ago. And like I said, we started shifting and now here we are. And we, we, we now we're value, right? I mean, we use our process, a team-based process and, and, and just let things come to us and, and believe me, we're not always right. But I think that's just over time. That's absolutely how you have to do things. No, I love that. Uh, you like saying, so like when they say the broken clock is right twice a day, right? So it's the same thing with eternal bears that just uh, are always bearish. Okay. And then I guess finally, um, Ryan, what's the best piece of advice you'd like to share with the audience on mm. or off Wall Street? Yeah, well, that is a good one. You know, we're, here we go. I'll go this route. We're lucky. All right. First off, if you're listening to this, we made it. Okay. In all likelihood. Um, but, you know, I, I saw some a stat by Harvard. I did this like 10 years ago, but it's out there. The odds of being born are one in 400 trillion. That's like your mom's got to meet your dad and your grandpa and everybody's got to survive and all the crazy wars and things we've been through. So just the fact that we're alive. All right. Let, let's let's be honest. We're lucky. Oh, and then the fact that probably most people listen to this were born in the United States, the richest, most safest country in the history of the world. And one of the, I mean, I'm not saying things are perfect. I know we all lost people in the last year and a half. You know, I get it. We get that. But I think when you realize just how lucky we truly are that we were here on the other side and, and I mean, geez, the economy's opening up, you know, vaccines are coming. I mean, you know, people are getting their shots. Things are really turning around here just for the economy and for life in general. And investments still look good too. I'm not even talking about the investment stuff. I mean, you know, it's just like, let's remember how lucky we are. And, and believe me, I'm just guilty as the next guy. Some days you got a bunch of meetings and you got this and that and something doesn't go right. And something, maybe your wife does something, your kid does something. And you're like, oh, this is just terrible. But you just got to take a step back and realize, man, 
could be worse. And I'm really lucky. You know, I think that's the biggest thing that people need to appreciate more and more. And in this world of 280 characters and, and you know, all the, all the crazy stuff on YouTube and TikTok and all that stuff that's going on, our brains short circuit so much because we see, oh, this person does that and that person does this, or that's a little, she looks like a perfect family. Look at them in Colorado, all smiley, happy. I mean, people get that and it just, it, it's really bad what it can cause to people when you look at all those things. But I think it's just so important not to focus on so much what other people are doing, just be happy with what you have and try and better yourself. Right. I mean, so many people I know the past year when you're stuck inside, they they say, I'm going to start reading books more. You know, I have more time. I'm going to read books, maybe work out more. You're at home more. You know, I mean, I guess Will Smith, you see the picture of Will Smith. He put on some pounds, but I, you know, he's hey, he can do what he wants and he's going to come back stronger than ever. But, you know, there's always ways to improve yourself and try to get better. And that's something that's so important for people to uh, to remember. And I guess the last thing is, you know, someone said it like this. I mean, you've heard it. You know, the days are short. Um, no, the days are long, but the years are short. I'll get there. And that's the truth. You know, it's like I'm a couple of years away from a kid in college. You know, I was like, I just remember meeting my wife felt like yesterday. I mean, things, some young guy listening to this, you know, I'm, we're two old guys talking. Trust me, it flies by. Uh, just appreciate it and just realize you, we're pretty lucky living in the country that we get to live in and the world we get to live in. No, I absolutely love that. So I said last question, but I have some more questions. That's OK. <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> uh, the psychology part of it. I love the positive attitude. I love your, your point about Warren Buffett saying it's a great American tailwind is what he calls it. The markets are going up and the positive attitude. So yeah. from a psychology standpoint, and you are your biggest enemy, I, that's basically the premise of my book. It's how to overcome. I divide it into two camps, the smart money side of you, the smart money superhero, and then the, the dumb money side of you, the dumb money beast is what I call it, just for the lack of a way of experience. Right. Subconscious mind, conscious mind, you know, that kind of dynamic. Um, how do you overcome, A, what are those psychological pitfalls that prevent most people from being successful in the market? And then B, how do you overcome that? I guess experience. I mean, we can't in the beginning. Like we all have to lose some money in the beginning. Those experiences are, like I said, I, I think I started with like five grand. All right. I made like, I was up to like 16 real fast. Okay. And my money, play money account that my dad gave me some money back in college and then lost it all because I was on margin. I mean, you know, we, that's necessary. You know, I mean, so many people are like, you know, look at all these new traders, look at all these new people that came to investing. Oh, they're just going to go in all these, you know, stocks are up a bunch and they're going to lose. And they very well might. All right. I don't think it's bad. I think it's great that so many people are getting interested in investing because, again, for long term goals, it's where you need to go. Now, are they going to pay the piper and you're going to have uh, some some tough losses? Yes. All right. We all have to pay that price to yeah. learn. But then again, uh, hopefully they're hooked and they can use long term investments to reach their long term goals and make um you know, make a lot of money along the way and be happy along the way as well um, is so, so uh, very important, in my opinion. No, I love that. And then. Um... Since you have 18,000 advisors firm wide, about a trillion dollars, you guys directly have models. What are some differences, I guess, Ryan, I'd like to ask between the financial advisors and the individuals that you just mentioned that are coming into to trade? And, and, and if you could speak to that a little bit, we'd appreciate it. Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of new people, you probably should consider getting a financial advisor because, you know, they, they, they do wonderful things. I mean, a lot of, I, I'm friends with, you know, a lot of financial advisors. we got a few of them. They're almost psychologists at the end of the day, too. I mean, when things are going crazy, you're going to reach out to your financial advisor a lot of time. But they sometimes, I say it like this, they protect you from you, kind of like what your book is talking about. You know, I mean, you know, we, we make our worst decisions a lot of times when we're extremely emotional. Um, you know, what's the story? You know, remember Pop? 
Pavlov and Pavlov's dogs, yeah, of course. right? I mean, of you course. ring the bell, the dog starts dog, to slaughter. Right? Yeah. Well, there was a terrible flood in Leningrad, and a lot of the dogs died tragically. Okay, now some of them actually lived. And after after the flood was over and everything, uh, um, um, Pavlov rang his bell again. You know what the couple dogs that lived did when he rang the bell nothing they didn't slobber anymore they forgot to slobber because in times of extreme stress and extreme just terror our brain shuts down and pavlov's dog showed it 100 years ago and we do the exact same thing and that's why having that process in place or letting somebody else kind of take care of it for you like a financial advisor who works at a sound place and has a sound um sound sounding board and sound up um, uh, process in place, they can help you from yourself a lot of times as well. So, you know, a lot of people like want to do it themselves. And hey, I was that way when I was young, I'll do it myself. I'll watch CNBC and I'll figure this out. And <laughs> that didn't work. But again, I was hooked. And then I realized, you know, it's a community, kind of that social media thing I talked about. It's a community, right? I mean, a lot of people watch your show and read your book. I mean, it's a community where that's so cool, because, you know, they're like a report. I'm just picking out random here. Believe me, it's like, random. like say gold, a top report from Goldman Sachs. Maybe right. no one had access to it. Now, in this day and age, there are no walls anymore. Everything's broken down. I mentioned before, everyone's got more information than ever. Any, Joe Blow on the street can get that report from Goldman Sachs that 30 years ago. He never could get his hands on because somebody throws it on Twitter, right? I mean, now, believe me, the one of the negatives and one of the other lessons, information overload. There's too much stuff going on. And I love to read. I love to consume. But I'm just as guilty as the next guy. Sometimes I'm reading and consuming too much because this is this and this is this. My head starts short fusing a little bit. So we have to do a very best job to try to find what really matters and what's important impactful and really, really important for us. Sometimes it's fun to read something goofy or watch some stupid YouTube video for a half hour, whatever. That's life. But, um, you know, to really focus on what really matters and not have information overload is another real important um, concept I think people need to work on, including myself. But um, it's important to get there. Yeah, no, Buffett talks about it where he talks about his circle of competence, right? And then he says, yep. inside the circle of competence, you want to be able to know what is actually important and filter out all the other stuff that just doesn't matter. It's not right. Important. Good point. Well, Ryan, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show and taking the time to talk today. And hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Really Adam, it was my pleasure. Thank you. And I look forward to you. Just let me know and I'll come back. This is in the world of Zoom and computers. It's easy enough to do this anytime, whenever we want. So that's one, one positive hope for the past year. Not a lot of positives, but the way we can do things like this is a positive. So thank you for having me. That is true. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it.